Good morning, Door of Hope. It's great to see you this morning. Uh, glad you could join us to be part of this time in worship uh, and in uh, having the Word shared with us uh, by Josh. Uh, we are in the second week of a new series uh, entitled The Seven Deadly Sins. Uh, if you missed last week, I would encourage you to go back and check it out online. Uh, it's called, uh, it's it centered around pride and it was life changing. So uh, please go back and do that. But today, uh, Josh is going to be spending his time looking at the sin of lust. Uh, and this is hugely relevant right now. Uh, in, in my role as one of the pastors here, uh, part of that is to spend time uh, with men in men's ministry. And I am regularly hearing from gentlemen uh, that are saying, hey man, I'm struggling right now uh, during this time of isolation and uncertainty and all the triggers that can come. Uh, I'm struggling with the issue of sexual purity. Uh, and so I need some help. And so what we have decided to do is we're going to go ahead and start a, a nine-week series that we did in the fall. We're going to repeat that. Uh, and it's about an hour and a half uh, an evening uh, session that uh, starts with a video and then has breakout sessions uh, to talk about uh, this very uh, timely issue. Uh, it was life-changing in the fall. I feel it will be so uh, this time. If you're interested in that, we're going to do it on Sunday evenings at 7 p.m. here at the church on the parking lot. Uh, so I'd love for you to come and join us. Uh, you can go to the website to sign up. We, we're limited to about 25 people uh, per session. Uh, so uh, jump on there, uh, sign up, and we look forward to seeing you. If you have your Bibles, open them up. Uh, we're going to uh, start out by reading Scripture uh, that Josh will be using as his text. Uh, this is in the book of James, chapter 4. As you're turning there, I'm going to be reading out of the New King James Version, uh, and we're looking at the first four verses. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, that war in your members. You lust and you do not have. You murder and you covet and you can't obtain. You fight and you war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you don't receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I look forward to hearing Josh unpack this for us this morning. But before we do that, uh, one last thing. Uh, yesterday uh, in staffing, uh, we were talking about the need uh, to share a little more uh, from leadership in the church, uh, staff, elders, others, about what God is doing in the midst of this very crazy time. And one of the things that has been playing out in my life over the last few weeks is the issue of peace, peace in our hearts, and uh, the need for that. And there's a lot of talk right now uh, about justice, uh, but we, I don't think we can separate the issue of justice and Christ's peace. They go hand in hand uh, and, they're, and they're both uh, two sides of, this, of the same coin. The answer to our issues, to our problems is Jesus. So in our community group last week, as we were talking about this, uh, a young man, Will, 
uh, brought up a scripture reference that reminded me about this. And in Colossians 3, verses 15, uh, we hear Paul speak to the Colossians with these words. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And as I thought about that, and as we unpacked that together, it came and crystallized for me a couple of thoughts. Number one, uh, the peace of Christ is something that He uh, commands us uh, to allow to happen in our lives. And number two, that is not something done in isolation. It's done in community. So again, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. As members of one body, you are called to peace. And why are we called to peace? The reality is we think of this as, as uh, something minor. What can we do in this crazy time? But the reality of life that is centered on Christ and is characterized by peace, both individually and, and a, as a corporate body, is what truly impacts a world in need. Uh, just living your life when this is the reality, and corporately it's the reality, infects the community around us, and it allows God to work and move in hearts uh, to bring the peace that only comes through Christ. So I want to encourage you this week, uh, look for community. If you're not in a community group, look for one. If you can't find one online, check with Pip. He'll help, uh, help you to, to find one. Uh, if that's not possible at all, and in addition to that, get together with your brothers and sisters. Encourage each other. As iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. Let's work together to do uh, what this scripture calls for. Let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Love you guys. Looking forward to the morning. Uh, join us as we spend time uh, in worship now. Jesus, we thank you for this. We look forward to what you're going to do through this today. And we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's go.
Hey everyone, this is Josh. It's so good to be with all of you. I'm actually currently in Cannon Beach. Uh, Braden's here with me filming and we are going to continue in our series, The Seven Deadly Sins, an appropriate series for us to be in at this particular moment in history, a time in which the church uh, is not being allowed to gather a time in which the vices that destroy us are coming up uh, to the surface for the world to behold. And we as followers of Jesus have to know what it is that we are dealing with so that we can walk in the victory of the gospel uh, that we might become and continue to be the witnesses that Jesus has called us to be by the power of his spirit. Russ just read to you the passage we're considering today from James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. And the sin that we will be considering, the vice that we will be considering today is that of lust. And James says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, from your lust? These desires, he says, war in our members, literally Internally, there is this continual battle happening within us. You lust and do not have. Speaks of those cravings that often can overtake our hearts and our minds. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war. Doesn't it sound like this particular moment we live in right now? Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? 
I just want to be really clear that when the scripture speaks of uh, being a friend of the world, uh, it isn't speaking against the world in which we live. It is speaking against those demonic systems and controls that fight against the reality of the gospel of truth and the authority and kingship of Jesus as the creator and the king and lord of lords over all things. It says, whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world, that is, whoever wants to embrace the systems of the world, is making themselves an enemy of God. Remember what it says in 1 John, that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we need to understand today that we are destroying ourselves with temporal desires. Although humanity has survived countless pandemics over the ages, this current pandemic that we are in is the first to occur in the digital age. And the digital age, this technological society in which we live, is a society that feeds on temporal desires. In Brothers Karamazov, uh, Dostoevsky writes, For the secret of man's being is not only to live, but to live for something definite. And that is the thing that's missing in much of our society today. For without a firm notion of what he is living for, man will not accept life and will rather destroy himself than remain on earth. I think this speaks to what happens when we allow unbridled desire, when we allow lust to control us. And lust is something that often comes, I just read this article in Psychology Today around the increase in the porn industry. It's up 18%. The good news is that people turning to churches and actually watching sermons is up as well. But darkness is coming up, bubbling to the surface in ways that we probably, most of us haven't seen in our lifetime. And, and we have to ask that question, what then is lust? And is it not desire that has become fixed upon the temporary, which cannot sustain us? In that article on pornography, one of the things that the psychologist writes is that people often turn to, to porn or feed those appetites in moments of great distress, that, that anxiety can push a person uh, to look for ways to release that anxiety or escape, escape it, but that the other aspect of it is boredom. And I have heard from many uh, that, that one of the great enemies they have been confronted with uh, in COVID is boredom. I honestly believe it's one of the reasons that the protests uh, became so huge and why they so quickly moved away from conversations around race is that many people are just looking for things to give themselves to because they're bored, but not really having a conviction around the very issues that are being discussed, uh, which is a sad thing because this, this is an important moment uh, that has, has continued to lose focus as there has been continued disruption, continued violence, and rioting actually infiltrating what has been uh, peaceful protests in many places. And, and this again speaks to the nature of the heart of man 
as, the, as this humanistic worldview continues to be given to us as a perpetual narrative that people are essentially good, we as Christians should know better and need to continually combat that by reminding ourselves that there is a dark side to our hearts and this is why we need a savior because we cannot save ourselves. What does Paul say? The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I keep finding myself doing. And I've heard from many people that this has been a very difficult season to maintain uh, a, a focus upon Jesus, upon devotions. Uh, it's been a time in which appetites have increased, and I speak of all appetites from, from food to sexual appetites to the in endless feeding upon entertainment and social media. So lust then, if we were to define it, we define it in contrast to love. Because love pursues, true, agape love, pursues the good of the other with self-control, concern, reason, and patience. But lust pursues its own gratification headlong, impatient of any control, immune to reason. It has been said, and I'm not sure where, as one of these quotes that I had in a folder that unfortunately doesn't have an author, I'd like to say that I came up with it, but it's too good. I know I didn't. Living with lust is like living shackled to a lunatic. Lust is going outside of God's guidelines to find satisfaction. It's, it's allowing, what did Jesus say, that out of the heart proceeds all sorts of impurity. That the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things and not to be trusted. Lust is when we allow those inner impulses to be the driving force of our life rather than the Holy Spirit. And so it is. What are we told in 1 John chapter 2, verses 16 and 17? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. And what is God's will that we surrender to him in faith and trust in Jesus in such a way that Jesus has the ability to reign in our bodies by his spirit. As we have entered into this brave new individualism, we have deteriorated into a morally unstable, self-indulgent society. It is a fact that the pursuit of fulfillment apart from God through our animal instincts pulls us further away from the image of God and turns us more and more into an animal. Uh, you know, this uh, really began to come into focus with the rise of psychology and thinkers like Sigmund Freud, who basically argued that it is damaging for human beings to restrain their hearts or their desires, to restrain the sexual impulse. And, and yet, this is the fact that Dostoevsky wrote himself, if there is no God, everything is permitted. And we live in this age, uh, as Malcolm Muggeridge uh, once wrote, of a, of a playboy philosophy, a form of radical individualism that says, if it feels good, do it. 
What are we told? Where do these wars come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure? That is lust, that war in your members. It is that delight in sensuality. We have to ask the question, is our modernity working out as well as we thought it would? Is this progress or is it, as I would argue, regress? Malcolm Muggeridge, I'm rereading him right now in Jesus Rediscovered, said, What we seek so ardently proves in the end to be the opposite of what we hoped. To suppose that the universe was created and you and I put into it in order to fulfill our sensual appetites is not only to demean life, but to falsify it as well. Seeking fulfillment through our sensual appetites is not a satisfactory basis for living through a single day. So what is the outcome of a society that embraces and sells sex? Because this is where we need to move in this particular message. We get to talk about gluttony soon and, and other forms of cravings that actually are vices that flow out of, remember, when we talk about sins, sins are merely the outworking of the sin, singular nature. It was sin that Jesus became uh, that we might become the righteousness of God in, in order, he who knew no sin, singular, that he took on that, that nature into himself and dealt with it once and for all so that we could live in victory. Our sins, sexual immorality, anger, unbridled anger, pride, all of these different outworkings uh, flow out of that sin nature. And one of the dominant uh, outworkings of sin in our culture, and I would argue that before every culture, before every empire that has ever risen in human history has come into ruin and collapse, sexual sin is one of the markers of, of a society that is experiencing what Scripture declares as the wrath of God. You remember how I defined that in Romans 1. Romans 1, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And it says the wrath of God is not God striking, uh, striking people down or blowing a nation up. It's God turning a people over to what it is they want. Three times in Romans 1 it says, Therefore God gave them over to a debased mind, to sexual immorality. And this is one of the, the facets of a society that is on its way out, a kingdom that is on the brink of disaster. And keep in mind, for all of you who hold so tenaciously to the hope that America will once again return to God. Listen, we need to have a very realistic vision uh, of humanity. And scripture says that the days will become worse before Jesus returns. We are ultimately optimistic because God can take the darkest things that man is capable of doing uh, and weaving it into his redemptive story, and he will come back to set right all that is wrong. And we as the church are called to be continual reminders of what the kingdom of God looks like, and hopefully, as the days grow darker, 
our light shines brighter. But we need to remember that for those that think that America is, is, you know, is, the, is a, somehow a Christian country, we are the country that is essentially given the world the porn industry. What is the outcome of a society that embraces and sells sex as a commodity is that we have become a sexualized society. I would go further. further we have become a pornographic society. And can we say that sexual sin is more serious than other sins? Well, Scripture definitely makes a strong case that it's pretty stinking serious. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 says, All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually, that is, as, as children of God, we sin against our own body. And he goes on to say, And do you not know that your body is the temple of God? Malcolm Mugridge, I just posted this today, made this disturbing statement, but I think it's important for us to think about. He says, the orgasm has replaced the cross as the focus of longing and the image of fulfillment. Even the discussions around what will fulfill humanity, rights around uh, marriage and all of these things are driven by a highly sexualized society that says it is unfair to restrict who can be married because, because every person in order to be truly fulfilled has to be able to be sexually united to another. Uh, and it's, it's unfair to say that one should withhold their sexual desires until they are married. It's unfair to call people to, uh, to abstinence. It's actually, it does damage to the soul. That was Freud's argument, that, that we, can't, we can't restrain that urge. It is one of the central urges of what it means to be human. And so we say we can't truly be human unless we can exercise our sexual needs. But the fact is, it's true. Sex is a beautiful thing. It's a gift from God. But it is also a thing that destroys lives like no other. It is one of the leading problems within marriage. <laughs> and it is one of the leading problems for people outside of marriage. And the, and the fact is, is because we've turned it into a God. Mugridge goes on to say that sex is the mysticism of materialism and the only possible religion in a materialistic society. And I would agree with that. And I think that the, that the problem is Christians, when we buy into the narrative of the world, because I know that there are some of you who go to Door of Hope and you've put your faith in Jesus, but you're totally looking at porn, you're sleeping with people that you're not married to, you have abandoned the, the demand of Scripture to recognize that when you go outside of the parameters that Scripture defines for you, uh, as, as the God-given purpose of exercising sexual intimacy, uh, that you are actually grieving the Holy Spirit and bringing damage to your own soul. And if we think that, that you know, there is no harm in any of this, we need to think again. For sexual liberation has not brought about a healthy outworking of natural instincts. 
the prevalent idea that the sexual appetite cannot be restrained without causing psychological harm has not held to be true. On the contrary, instead of satisfying the instinct, it has inflamed, enlarged, deformed, and created unhealthy, both spiritually and physically, human beings. The porn industry is at $1.8 billion and rising. Pornhub has re reported large increases in traffic since uh, COVID, 18% jump over normal numbers after making its premium content free for 30 days for people who agree to stay home and wash their hands frequently. Chris Hedges in his book, The Empire of Illusion says, porn is not even about sex. Sex is airbrushed and digitally washed out of the films. There's no acting because none of the women are permitted to have what amounts to a personality. The one emotion they are allowed to display is an unquenchable desire to satisfy men, especially if that desire involves the woman's physical and emotional degradation. Porn has evolved into its logical confusion. It first turned women into sexual commodities and then it killed women as human beings. I think that Hedges' insights are deeply disturbing. And the porn industry, uh, you know, for both heterosexual and homosexual uh, industry, all of it feeds into the urges that cannot be satisfied as the ultimate longing of the human heart and ultimately degrade the human spirit, turning us into merely animals and forgetting that we are spiritual as well and the damage that it does to the spirit is something that we must consider. Our liberties have enslaved us. We thought we were free to pursue whatever we wanted and left to our own devices. What we have discovered is that we make horrible masters. You do not have the right to do whatever you want. You can make a choice, but you do not get to choose the outcome of that choice. And what we need to understand is that lust is deadly. It will bury you. James 1.15 says this, that when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. I think that what we need to understand right now is that, that pornography feeds arousal addiction. And now we're hearing more and more that this isn't just a guy problem anymore, but that women are often succumbing uh, to uh, watching porn. And, and although I think the drives in men and women are different, I think that that lust is the same for both of us, how it's expressed is different. And I think ultimately the, the feeding of that longing is driven by a much deeper longing that's a beautiful longing and it's the longing to be loved, to be known, to feel intimacy with another. And we want to be close to one another and yet feeding into this sort of medium actually makes one feel lonelier and lonelier. It drains the soul and it drains us of our humanity.
And in that arousal addiction, it, the problem with it is that it, it leads to ever increasing degradation. Uh, what satisfies the first few viewings no longer satisfies after time and the pursuit continues to be a downward spiral to darker and darker places uh, and darker, uh, darker desires to be satisfied. It's amazing how depraved the human heart can get. This is why they say that, that those that watch porn regularly will eventually move toward more extreme visions of it, even things like bestiality and pedophilia. And for all of you who are feeding on this, and you may think to yourself, no, this isn't a big deal, it's safe, at least I'm not hurting anyone, I'm doing this alone, how is this a bad thing? I just want you to know that you are promoting not only the destruction of your own souls, but you have unwittingly become accomplices to the sexual violence and degradation of our culture against women and children. Because someone once asked, like, how do we stop sex trafficking? And I would argue, if people stopped looking at porn, sex trafficking probably wouldn't be a thing. The fact is, is that it's all interconnected. It is, it is a society that has become pornographic and sex has become a commodity that makes a lot of money. It is a powerful industry. And this is why we need to understand that lust is problematic. Listen, we can't deny desires are the driving forces of life. Desire itself is not bad. It's God-given. It's what, it's what is desired that qualifies its health or sickness. Our desires are weak, not strong. I, I love one of my favorite passages ever written with C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory uh, when he says, Our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. We cannot remove desire. The remedy of life is not less life. It's actually more life. What we need is a central longing or a central desire that actually anchors us so that we can actually move into the world and the pleasures that the world offers that we might enjoy them in their proper place and context. Remember, the spirit has given, the spirit is not a spirit of fear, but we have been given a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. And so what we need to think about is how is it that we can move ourselves from lust to love? And let me just say one final thing about a hypersexualized society and the false belief that one cannot be satisfied if they cannot exercise that particular drive. We all need intimacy. The deepest need and the, even the desire for sex is directly connected to the spiritual desire for right relationship and for intimacy. And that intimacy is something that is essential to healthy existence. But let's be reminded that the most perfect person who has ever lived did not 
exercise that sexual desire. In other words, Jesus himself remained celibate and single and said that his joy was full and that his prayer is that his followers would experience the same joy as him. The Apostle Paul said, I wish all of you could be single as I am so that your full devotion and dedication can be to King Jesus and not distracted by these temporal things. I'm not downplaying the, the, the sexual longing. Uh, what I'm saying is that it is possible to live a satisfied life uh, and not have sex. And anyone that's married knows the fact that sex is a very small part of that relationship. For many, a much smaller part than they wish it was. And so it is that we have to rediscover what we need is not less life uh, to control these desires or drives. We need more life, but we need the life that Jesus alone gives. This is what Psalm 37, chapter 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. For the one who has Christ has everything. And so what are three steps that we can move ourselves from lust to love in closing? Number one, attention. Whatever has our attention has us. Scripture again and again calls us to take our thoughts captive. What I want you to be captivated by is grace. That on your worst day, God is crazy about you. What I want you to be captivated by is Jesus. Nothing, you can't just discipline yourself out of lust. What you need is first a proper affection. The Holy Spirit has been given to us and has poured out the love of God into our hearts. And the more that we focus our attention on God's incredible, radical, one-way love toward us, the more we look to the cross where God's perfect love is demonstrated for us, the more we look to Jesus and fix our attention upon Him. It's not about what we're doing for Jesus. It's about our disciplining ourselves toward intimacy with Jesus. It's the daily surrender to Him. It is giving Him our attention. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, For who has, the, who has known the mind of the Lord that He may instruct Him? But we have the mind of Christ. It doesn't mean that you think like Jesus. It means that Jesus is with you and within you by His Spirit. What we have to learn how to tap into is a yieldedness to His presence, an awareness of His presence, to practice His presence, even feeling His absence. You couldn't talk about the absence of Jesus unless you had first felt His presence. And so it is that Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23, we are told to be renewed by the spirit of your mind. Psalm 119, verse 9, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. What is it that you give your attention to? We must have a center. Give Christ that place. We, we talk about what we love. We live out what we love. And the question that I have is, do you know, first of all, that even 
in the midst of your darkest moments, the worst sins, because this message is not about guilt, because guilt isn't going to help or heal anyone. Jesus came to deal with our guilt and shame on the cross of Calvary. Our desire to move from the frustration that comes from sexual sin and allowing lust to be the driving force in our lives, the only salvation from that is the one who has entered into the dilemma of our lives and has given himself for us. I am motivated by God's kindness to me in spite of my lust. The thing that wants, that helps me lay down those unhealthy drives and urges at the feet of Jesus is not so that I can prove my worth to him. It's because he has given me so much that I love the adventure of giving up whatever it is that keeps me from experiencing more of him. That's why I gave up drinking. It's not because I have to give up drinking because Jesus is disappointed in me. It's, Lord, I don't want this thing to be a barrier because I want more of you. I want to give you my attention. I don't want things that help me escape from existence. I don't want less life. I want more life. That is why he must be our center. Number two, we need meekness. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. It is the meek person, the one who walks in humility, that actually has the ability to enjoy the pleasures of life without being controlled by them. Meekness is surrender of self-control. Christ has your attention, now give him control. When we have surrendered our life and desires to Christ in meekness, those secondary desires go from destroying us to serving a higher purpose. The world is no longer a system that dominates our appetites, but serves the one who overcame it and allows us then to be a conduit of that saving message, a window of grace in these dark days. And number three, power. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and then also for the Greek. Our attention fixed on Jesus and our surrender to him in meekness releases the very power of God into our lives. We are now free not to do what others do, but free to do what they cannot do, and that is to be a contributive soul full of light and power in these dark days. It is about being moved, it's about moving from less controlled to love controlled. That's why C.S. Lewis beautifully wrote, Eros ceases to be a devil only when it ceases to be a god. The only thing that can constrain our desires from rearing up into deformed monsters is the love of Christ. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. If lust is the vice, love is the virtue. Lust devours the human heart. Love develops it. One is the touch of death and one is the touch of life. And that is why Paul 
writes in 2 Corinthians 5.14, for the love of Christ compels us, constrains us. And I pray that for you. Jesus is the answer to the dilemmas of this moment. The cross is the answer to the insanity of this world. And if you've never put your trust in Jesus, if you've never cried out to him, humble yourself before God and begin with that simple prayer, Lord Jesus, help me. I surrender to you. I'm done trying to save myself. And you need community. You guys, one of the ways that we find the power of the Holy Spirit active in our lives, helping to restrain the things in us that constantly are fighting against our ability to be the people of God that God has called us to be, is our attempts to do it on our own. The Christian life is about a restoration of relationship with God and with others. And then and only then can it be about a right relationship with ourselves. And if you're trying to live the Christian life alone and isolated from community, uh, let me just tell you, a fear of COVID, if it's keeping you separated from others, you need to ask the question, uh, have you found ways of connecting with others? Because I understand all of our all of our comfort levels with this current time in which we live is different. And some of you are more at risk than others, but we still need to find ways to connect with people. And I would encourage you, if you're not in a community group, get in one. If you're not at least meeting with people on Zoom or having certain people that you can check in with and have them check in with you because we need one another because Jesus often becomes the most real to us in the context of community. And you guys, I am thinking and trying and praying for ways that we can gather. I'm watching what's happening. Uh, and I just want you to know, I have not uh, pulled any kind of trigger uh, along with the elders uh, to do anything brash. We recognize these are complex days. There's uh, so many factors we don't understand or know. And there are some church leaders that are saying we need to fight the government. They're taking away our rights. And I would just simply say, I would say, I understand some of the argumentation. There is a fear. How long can we be quarantined before the psychological ramifications actually outweigh the physical risk of COVID? I understand that. And believe me, we are not immune to that question. Uh, and we can't wait to be together. I will say this. I am quite comfortable meeting with people outside. Uh, and I think it's a safe way to gather We've been seeing thousands and thousands of people gather to protest. And starting this Monday, that is for you watching this, if you're watching this right now, you're probably watching it on Sunday, tomorrow morning at Mount Tabor in the amphitheater at 6 a.m., I will be leading 29 days straight of morning prayer. Uh, and this is going to be a way for us to gather, and I'm happy to hang out afterwards and visit. Heck, I may even be happy to do uh, do some kind of devotional with people if they want it. Um, but I say, man, I'm, I say, let's, let's get as many people praying as possible for we should not be afraid uh, to protest. I mean, we are Protestants after all. We, we sort of invented the word. Uh, and prayer is a wonderful protest. May we pray over our city and the distress that people are in. May we pray for revival. May we pray from freedom from the shackles of, of a sexualized society and a sexualized city. 
may we pray for liberation from those that are being controlled by fear right now rather than by love and by hope. And may we pray that God continues to seek and save the lost through us as his church. I love you guys so much. I do hope to see you tomorrow morning. Uh, this is Josh. Until next time. Ready? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the Yeah. I felt great about that. Yeah. That was really good on my end. Sweet.